Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary, and all my patron peeps, uh, what's up? It's Scoots, and uh, I'm here in cahoots with all of you who support the show. Thank you so much, and let's get on with the show. Uh, hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep or is here while I keep you company while you fall asleep. We do it with a bedtime story. Yeah, we throw in a bonus meandering intro. Uh, <laughs> I just I guess I'm in a little bit of a silly mood. We do it with a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, uh, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to, 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 to do... Uh, I think I just uh, I just buffered. I don't know if anybody heard that, but that was live buffering. Maybe we could talk about buffering uh, in the intro. But uh, what I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever's keeping you awake. If you're new, I'll explain all that to you. But I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to sm- I'm going to buff. You know what? I'm going to buff the heck out of this safe place. Like it was a freaking uh, shiny car, and I was a 16 year old. Uh, with a shine, I guess if you if I was a sixteen, like a, yeah, maybe let's just pretend though. If I was a sixteen-year-old with a shiny car, uh, probably you should buy a lottery ticket because that's not gonna like uh, the odds of that happening of me having anything that unless it's unless there's they've invented permanent shine. Here, that's another thing we could talk about, and maybe market permanent shine. But I got to talk to the new listeners. Now I have both my hands have fingers crossed, and I don't even remember what the first thing was. Permanent shine and something else. Oh, buffering. Oh, I guess there's a difference between buffing and buffering. But I'm going to buff this safe place up. Uh, uh, pre- I'm going to pre-buffer. You know, I'm going to have the, the the biggest buffer. I'm going to cash the heck out of this safe place while I'm buffing it. So there will be no buffering. Super cash. Uh, sleep with me. The podcast that has a safe place that's been buffed and super cached and like, uh, which puts the podcast, it puts a buff and buffering. I'll say that in another intro, probably. Okay, so if you're new, I'm gonna send my voice across the deep dark night. I'm gonna use lulling, soothing, creaky dulcet tones, pointless meanders, uh, goofing around, like uh, friend, friend, friendly, warm banter, ideally. You know, some people, you may not be able to receive it that way, like, uh, and that's okay, too. But I'm really here to be your boyfriend, your friend in the deep, dark nights, uh, to keep you company while you fall asleep. And you may say, if you're new, what's that? You say, I thought this was a podcast to put me to sleep. And I'd say, well, it's a turn and phrase. Uh, but... uh Really what I do is uh, take your mind off of stuff and uh, sit here as your companion. Uh, You know, stay at your bedside, walk at your side, whatever you're comfortable with, uh, while you drift off into dreamland. I'm kind of like the caretaker. Really, you could take whatever's bugging you and just, like, that's what, not only does the super cash handle uh, the caching stuff, it can handle all that uh, crapola that's been keeping you awake. so go ahead, put it in the super cache. Plenty of room. Did you notice our, our, our super cache comes padded? And we we found out here at the uh, 
the Buffering Institute. What was the first thing I said that I said I should come back to? That I thought it would be a good book title. Uh, oh, permanent. Yeah, they also, yeah, at the Permanent Shine Institute, uh, we discovered that that increases the uh, it, not the ability to buffer the debuffer at uh, at eighty seven uh, tetrahertz, as we say here. At the, that's a joke. That's an inside joke at the institute, but. Uh, I got to get back to the, let me put some, let me put some permanent shine over on, uh, you new listeners. Uh, so if you're new, it's a podcast you don't need to listen to, believe it or not. Uh, you probably, you may have figured that out already on your own because you're a bright person. You don't even need my permanent shine, but, uh, you know, if you want some, here you go. I don't know why permanent shine should probably come with a more brighter voice than here you go. But it's a chill voice, permanent chill, permanent shine. They come together uh, as I buff away. Also, I get distracted. But so, like, you don't have to listen. You can just kind of listen. You can let me, you can put lower the volume. You can, like, you can listen. Uh, you can fully listen or you can barely listen. There's no wrong way to use this podcast. Uh, and so you don't really need to listen to it. And as I said, I'll be here while you fall asleep. It only puts you to sleep, uh, at, at, like, uh, like you, you know, I'm going to be here about an hour. So you have plenty of time to fall asleep. So there's no pressure, pressure free, listening free, structurally. You've been here this long, but the show starts, uh, uh with about six minutes of business. Uh, then, um, we have the intro, which we're in, in, I don't know, usually they're around 12 minutes. I haven't looked at how long this intro is yet. Uh, I'm peaking now. Oh, wait, I have to, a different battery today. So uh, to save battery, my display is off. But, yeah, we're probably, we're about halfway through the intro. Yeah, usually around 12 minutes. Then we'll do a story, uh, our serial, uh, episodic serial uh like a sack, like a, you know, it's an episodic series, a bedtime story. After that, and then we close out the show with some some thank yous and some good nights. Uh, so you have plenty of time uh, to relax uh, here in this well buffered space. But how about that buff 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 buffered buffed buffered and but buttered buffed and buttered butter buffed. There's another uh, tongue. How come tongue twisters? I don't know, maybe the only one that's thought about this, that tongue twisters and comforting words are very close. Uh, like you say, well, those are the relaxing words, but once you get them too close together, they become tongue twisters. Like buff, that's relaxing. Buffered. If it's not, yeah, I guess buffered, is that's the most relaxing word. Buffering, oh boy. You want to talk about teeth grinding, but if you say, well, it, if your TV said, yo, it's buffered, I got it covered. You don't worry. There won't be any buffering. That That, that is buffered. Uh, buffed, buffered, and buttered. I mean, you know, what couldn't, you know, that's, that's so buff, 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 buttered, and buffered. There you go. Buff, buttered, and buffered. I guess if I was like on a, like a weightlifting team or something, that's what it would say. Bob, you know, because then I'd cover myself in cocoa butter or whatever the heck it's shea butter, whatever shines you up. Uh, buff, buttered, and butt, buttered. Uh, team Scoots. Uh, what, what does Team Scoots do? Oh, we buff things. Yeah, we're pro buffers. Uh, that's why we now live in a buffered world. You know, once uh, Team Scoots got on it, 2019, world was buffered. 
we dropped that super cash globally. And that was it. That was the day the buffering uh, entered, the, you know, whatever you call it when you had an ED. It went from uh, present tense to past tense because it was done. Oh, like the, oh, those were the days. Uh, well, how did you do it? Oh, permanent. What do we call it? Permanent shine? Yeah, we uh, we invented this thing called permanent shine. And uh, it turns out if you buff, buff things with permanent, if you don't need to buff it, you don't got to buffer it either. And it's complicated. It involves electronics and solid state things. So probably... Uh, also, like, uh, we repurposed some particle colliders, um, and that's how we did it, permanent shine. That's what we call it. It was, it was Project Permanent Shine when it was uh, top secret. And if you don't mind me saying, it was pretty revolutionary. Okay, so you're seeing that a bunch, you used a bunch of nonsense uh, to uh, buffer things permanently. Okay, well, you know, if they, like, I mean, some of us believe the part of the sums are, is all whole, and some of us believe that some of the parts is bigger than the whole, and some people believe the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts. And uh, I just say that uh, when you ha- when things are permanent, when why why ask why when things when it's buffered? Well, we do have a question here. Uh, okay, go ahead. One more one more question from uh, my my internal press. Why did you uh, feel the need to declare to have every device everywhere declare things were already buffered? Oh, well, that's an easy question. Thanks. And, and it's a legitimate question. And I, like, uh, I acknowledge that. And you might, you might say, hey, why say it's buffered? And someday in the future, there'll be people who have never heard of a buffer. And then we won't need to tell them it's buffered. But this puts people at ease. Just like the sleep podcast I used to do uh, before, you know, I became, you know, the, the uh, before, I, you know, my, before Muskie took me under his wing and we, I said, like, uh, he said, buffer. He said, permanent sunshine, sign me up. And I, I said, you know what? Maybe we could bore some permanent sunshine. I said, well, actually, it's a permanent shine, Elon. But anyway, I got to get back to the podcast intro. I got to cut this press conference short. Thanks for the great questions. And yes, uh, the world will be buffered one day. Buff, buttered, and buttered. Buffed, you know, whatever I like to say. Uh, thanks, for, thanks, everybody. All right. Hey, I'm, I'm back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it's a podcast which you sleep. You don't really need to listen to it. Don't have to take it seriously. I want to make bedtime something you can breathe in, you can relax. Maybe you could barely laugh or in the, perf- in, in the perfect world, you know, things would be buffered, including all the stuff around sleep. You could just, like I said, drop all your sleep stuff in my super cash and let me worry about it. Uh, while you drift off into dreamland and until that day, I hope this podcast, you know, can in, in its stead before, once I get the rest of that sorted out, uh, with, uh, the, the permanent shine and the buffering and the caching, uh, for now, let me just keep you company and distract you. Now this podcast doesn't work for everybody. Uh, so give it a few tries. That's what most listeners say. If you're skeptical, why wouldn't you be? I mean, I don't even know what to, like, uh, you might say, what the heck did you just talk about? Because uh, it does sound pretty good. And I say, well, yeah, we're getting close. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I hope I can fall, help you fall asleep. That, that's all I can say. Uh, I appreciate you checking this podcast out. Uh, thank you for coming by. And I really hope I work very hard and I yearn 
Uh, not only to help you fall asleep, but to make you look forward to bedtime. Thanks. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, it's uh, Scoots. It's uh, like a t- Tuesday. I guess it's a trending Tuesday, but I was thinking of uh, uh, snow as uh, the holiday season settles in. And it talked about leaves. And I think I've talked about snow in a couple different ways on the podcast. So maybe we'll talk more about it. Uh, but I, I don't know if I've, like, there's a couple, I guess there's a couple, of, there's nothing I want to get off my chest about snow. But I was like, okay, if, if I'm going to do some meandering rambles, uh, we could talk about snow. We can talk about sledding. Like a little bit of a mem- memory trip. Uh, it, it, actually, yeah, it'll be all probably real of like uh, some snow memories as a child, but also some snow specifics. And maybe if you're like a deep, deep listener, you'll get some new perspectives and some things I've talked about before. Uh, so let me take you all the way to central New York to, to, to the 315 uh, area code where I grew up in Syracuse, New York. Uh, 13215 was my zip code. Or they could like uh, they could be my current no no it's not my current zip code uh, in Syracuse I think uh, like again I guess with uh, like I, I never know like it, it has a notoriety for being snowy and wet and cold and maybe notoriety is a little strong but that's like one of the things especially in New York State they say well where are you from oh Syracuse uh, and they say it gets a lot of snow there. I mean, maybe someone from Buffalo or Rochester, they might say, because that's the snow belt. Uh, and I think I maybe talked about the science and it leaked, you know, as soon as I, like, my brain is like a sieve like, or I have sieve brain. So I'm pretty sure that the moisture in Syracuse is due to the Great Lakes and the water temperature and the warm and some sort of jet stream action. And Syracuse always seemed to, to uh, uh, have like the most precipitation or the most snow. I, and I don't know if any of that's true. That's just what people always said when we were growing up. And I did have, especially as a kid, as most people do, like a, a sense of hometown pride. And anytime Syracuse was mentioned in major media, you know, my heart beat a little bit faster. Uh, so, so anytime, you know, they were talking, I said, that's right. I'm so proud of that. My city just happens to be in a place where it gets, uh, the most precipitation, but really, I mean, I guess it, like the downside is, and this is probably why I moved away, is it's really nice to visit. It's probably a lot tougher to live there, and I do find myself uh, a person that need like has a like a, that needs access to sunlight and the outdoors uh, as part of my like uh, self care process. I guess. Uh, Here's a little unrelated tip. Uh, those of you that, I mean, even if you live in Syracuse, you can use this tip. And it is a sleep tip. Now, it's, I guess it's a little bit tougher in the east, uh, but you actually you have windows. So it would be the same thing. It's like uh, as soon as you wake up, uh, and this is something I, I, I do on and off, as soon as you wake up, ideally you get out of bed right away. Like, as soon as your alarm goes off, that's one of the sleep t- I didn't know how this became a sleep tip uh, episode, but, uh, like, you get out of bed right away. Uh, and I haven't mastered that part yet, but usually, like, because also, I don't know, I guess I'm split on that. Uh, 
But if I'm giving tips, like, I'm, I guess I don't want to give the reality. Because usually I like to, if I had a dream, I like to lie there and think about my dream. Or lie there and say, well, I don't really want to get out of bed. But ideally, I get out of bed pretty quick nowadays. I don't use my phone. That's one of my new rules is uh, no, nope, don't touch that phone unless you're putting it in your pocket. And it also depends on, like, you know, my bladder situation, how quick I get out of there. But then I like to make my bed. And now I don't do, like, I do more of, like, a a basic bed making where I try to put my pillowcases back on you know, from whatever was going on in my dreams. Uh, you know, great, uh, great pillow makeout or whatever I was doing or pillow wrestling or p- pillow hugging. And then I, like, uh, like will rearrange my blankets uh, so that it's nice when I go to bed. So, look, like, I, and I never was like this uh, until I started making this podcast. I realized it's kind of an important thing. It, it, like they say, it's one of these keystone habits, and I actually believe it. I'm not a big believer in all that stuff, but uh, so I don't really make I mean, I do make my bed. Like, I don't tuck any sheets in. I just, like, uh, I'll pull my comforter off, then I have a blanket, and then I have a sheet, and... Uh, Usually my sheet and my blanket are pretty well aligned, so I'll just have to flick them and then flick out my comforter. So it kind of like is a basic make, and that takes no time at all. And then the next thing you want to do after you visit the facilities, uh, and if you have a pet, a dog especially, it makes it a lot easier, is to go, and I'm lucky enough to live in the Bay Area, so I immediately open my back door even sometimes even Koa lately, she stays, she says, you know, it's too early for me is to go outside, open the door. And I don't know if you're into heavy or heavy breathing. (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but, uh, if you're into any breathing or meditation or sitting or journaling, or if you're like a Julia Cameron, like a person or some, you know, AM writing or morning pages, uh, or just sitting and listening, is to get outside, and I know, like, like sometimes I'm up before the sun just because of the, you know, time change hasn't happened. When you hear this, it should have happened. And I'm not a morning person, that's the other thing, but I don't really have a choice because I have too much, you know, I got stuff to get done. Uh, but to get access as the sun rises, I hear that's good for, like, you setting your clock. As soon as you get outside, I spend a few minutes... uh and I just try to listen to the sounds or if there's birds or something to look at or trees or, uh, or yeah, listen to the freeway, listen to the port of Oakland, maybe listen to whatever other sounds I'm hearing, but I get a little sun, even if it's below the horizon, it's coming. Uh, and I think that's a really good way to start your day and also to end your night. Uh, I just do the same thing because my dog's got to go to the bathroom anyway. And I found, like, if I have, like, which I, I suffer from meditation avoidance, uh, uh, if I do that, I say, well, this is kind of like meditating. I'm sitting listening to the noises quietly and trying to not be distracted by my thoughts. Uh, so it's like, a, I guess it's like meditation meditation adjacent. I don't know. Uh, have we reached peak meditation? Like, uh, probably not. uh I was waiting to see if Buddha was going to call, ring, you know, ring up my brain or anything. So if you live in the, uh, like, uh, the east, it might be tougher, but maybe you could stand by a window 
or if you have to let your pet out anyway, then you're going to have to open the door. I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't speak to that, but that's one of the things is like, uh, uh getting access to light sunlight or at least a uh, filtered sunlight. If you're back East when it's a cloudy, a lot of the times. So that's, I guess that's just a little sleep tip folded in there somehow. Um, Okay, so back back to uh, the subject at hand. Uh, snow, let it snow. You know what I'm saying? Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow, John. Um, so snow. Here's the things I think about when I think about snow. A lot of it is related to my bus stop as a kid that I would have to walk to, or trudge in this situation, like uh, or going sledding. So let's talk about the bus stop situation. And here's the interesting thing. Well. I don't know why I can't picture Carl and Sheila, my brother and sister, the closest in age to me. We would walk to the bus. Uh, we'd take the bus to grammar school. This was for grammar school. We did the same for middle school and high school. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is these are grammar school memories. And, um, so we would walk uh, to the bus stop. And usually we would be, you know, trying to get to the bus on time. So the and it was downhill. So we lived on a hill. And it was very steep hill, which actually goes into a whole other set of snow memories, which would be good to ha- talk about. Uh, but so we live on this steep hill, and uh, so we would go down it usually to get to school. Snow, you know, I don't know what we'd do in the rain. I guess we'd still, I guess we had raincoats. Uh, I'll have to ask Carl and Sheila about that. I call, Hey, by the way, Sheila, I called you last night. Oh, but I couldn't figure out the freaking Bluetooth on my phone. It kept saying it was dialing your number. So I did try to call you just, just, just so you know. Not that you're listening because you, I don't know if you but you might be asleep or you do like, uh, but uh, I know some of your friends listen to the podcast. Uh, what's up, Vanessa? So anyway, okay, um... Where was I? So, so Carl, Sheila, and I would go to the bus stop, and uh, we would go there, get the bus, go to school. And usually the only things that were hard in the morning was uh, going downhill. You'd have to worry about slipping if it was really snowy. But Syracuse uses a ton of road salt, and so there's usually a preponderance, uh, preponderance of, of uh, this stuff called slush. And this is much different than slushies. Uh, here's the thing. Kids, don't like I always say, don't listen to scoots. Uh, and probably, probably humans, don't listen to scoots. But I like uh, So slushies, and there's ice, there's Italian ice, there's Hawaiian ice, there's shaved ice, uh, there's slurpees, there's ices. This is, the slush is much different. And... I have tasted slush uh, on many occasions, both uh, intentionally, unintentionally, and at the hands of uh, older kids. Uh, and I know exa- I have the exact taste of slush in my mouth, so I'll describe it to you. It's really not that bad. Now, the idea, uh, it, like, it just tastes like salty snow with, uh, like, a gritty, almost near-metallic uh like it's mostly salty snow, overpowering the road salt, uh, with a kind of, uh, it's not actually, it doesn't taste dirty. It tastes gritty and a little bit metallic y. And you could get, like, you can even get slush splashed in your face by cars. And, like, we might, this might be the slush cast, uh, because slush is really amazing. Yeah. Maybe this winter, I'm going to have to, 
uh, if, if, if get some somebody shoot some slush for me. Uh, and ideally, if you're listening, one its budget's a probably zero point zero, but uh, like an hour segments of just uh, slush views. Yeah, uh, but so slush is like is when snow uh, combines with like warmer air and road salt. Uh, that's what I that's how I define slush. Uh, and it can be slow, it can be sudden, it can be uh, like a slushy. Like you could get a puddle of slush, which is not a liquid and not a solid. It's like a near plasma. It's uh, in the middle. It's a matter change. I don't know if Bill Nye thinks that, but it's matter in the middle of a change. Uh, and I think David Bowie saying about it even. Uh, but like, uh, like it'd be gray. It's always gray. And I don't ever knew if that was because of the road or the salt. Uh, and I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I think when you see a pile of salt, it's kind of, it does seem like it has a little bit of grit in it anyway. Uh, but like probably the road picks it up, but it's always like a, a stark gray color and it can be beautiful if, if you're a fan of gray, like I am, especially a person that like tends to view the world through all or nothing lens and say, man, one day I'll see the world is all gray. And it kind of Syracuse, I used to call it the gray planet when I was, uh, in my angsty phase from like, uh, whatever, uh, puberty hit till <laughs> uh, not too long ago uh, but so the slush uh, so usually slush okay so my relationships with my primary interactions with slush would be I mean there could be I have a lot of them but my love of slush probably came from after school walking home from the bus uh, because uh, like uh, we would could walk at our own pace so Carl Schiel and I we would uh I don't even know what we'd do. I can, like, I think we'd just split up and maybe I, I don't know who walked the fastest. Probably me. Yeah, but when it was slushy, I would like to dilly dally. I mean, depending on the slush level and how cold it was. Uh, because you could really get some uh, unbelievably high um, uh, snow banks. Uh, and we'd walk up this hill and you'd see, like, your neighbor's snow banks and. I mean, obviously from this podcast, I'd start imagining, you know, I could imagine I was a giant, uh, I could imagine I was a mountain climber, you know, you, there could be other kids around, so we might be doing some snow play, you know, snowball play or whatever. Uh, you could do some like light sledding, like slide down a snowbank. Uh, if the snow looked fresh, you know, you could do like some snow diving, some snow, snow bank jumping, like just measuring it, you know, say, wow, this snowbank's taller than I am. Because what would happen is the roads would get plowed and then people would have their driveways plowed. So the corner of driveways was always the best place for the, like the highest snowbanks. I'm trying to think other, like, so, so that would be one thing that would distract me. I was like, see, I was already distractible on my way home. But then now snowbanks are primarily made up of, correct, snow. Yeah, but as you get lower on the snowbank, closer to the road, that's where this like the the slush appears. Uh, well, in a couple of places, like the primary slush occurs with the general interaction between the road salt and the snow in the ice on the road. And I would presume, and again, I'd love, Bill Nye, you know, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, 
uh, no, I'm not kidding. Like this, like you probably already covered all this. Uh, but like, so as the, the salt, uh, would he, I think, I don't know how, again, a little embarrassing, but, uh, I think the salt would generate heat, uh, from just getting wet, uh, uh somehow by some chemical reaction. And that would melt the snow, but I guess because the roads were dirty or the salt was dirty, we don't have an answer for that, uh, even in my brain. I guess we could presume both, uh, uh, you know, that that would be responsible for the gray color, but I, I guess it would give some body to the, um, uh, the, the melted snow. Now, sometimes the ice and the temperature in the air and the temperature of the ground would be uh, aligned to just turn to water. And in that case, the roads would be black because uh, we had asphalt roads in Syracuse. And uh, there would be uh, uh, salt on the road and maybe water, depending, you know, depending. Uh, but if it was a particularly snowy day the night before or it's still snow, well, if it's still snowing, that's a whole different territory. I don't know if we'd go there, but uh, you would have slush, which would be gray and it could be, uh, like, packed gray snow. I guess that would be if it was snowing or if it just snowed. But most of the time, I guess it would be like a slush, just like a slushy, but gray and gross. But not super gross, as I said, because I've tasted it. Uh, but another good, the better slush zone was where the sides and the edges of the road met the snow banks. And also the spray from the cars, because the wheels of the car would spray slush, uh, in jettisoning into the sides of the snowbanks, uh, and that would form some pretty cool-looking stuff. Uh, like uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but like uh, slush getting sprayed into the snow. I guess that's how you describe it. Uh, but so the slush zone, depending on again the temperature and the situation, was good for a couple things. I mean, as I said, pretending to be a giant. Uh, I think I did a lot of giant role play uh, as a kid. I, like, I don't need to as an adult, believe me. Uh, but so, like, uh, but like, uh, like you could be stomping slush because there'd be, like, great slushbergs. And also cars could accumulate slush on the undersides of the car. And those would be, sl- those would be really good slushbergs if they broke off. Uh, they would look like a gray iceberg. And depending on how, if they they were pure, like if you found yourself a pure slush brick, they're great for sm- smashing with your feet. And uh, sometimes they'd be hard, and sometimes they'd just be like, uh, almost like they were sculpted. And you couldn't believe, like when you put your foot on it, that it was holding together. Uh, like almost like it was a liquid that had somehow, that was somehow holding its shape, like almost like it had, had a like invisible wax coating. And as soon as you touch it, it like, uh, like it lost its form. You'd be like, holy cow, that is cool. And, and it's just like a really, not a consistency. I mean, no offense to slush and slurpy makers and stuff, uh, but that stuff, it, like slush is better. I mean, maybe because of the salt, uh, like slush really was a, like uh, not a solid and not a liquid. Like where a Slurpee or something like that, I feel like is like just really small ice crystals. Where slush was nearly a plasma gel like thing. 
were just so like so small. I, I don't know. I guess like what am I doing? Like here I am. I'm a so 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 spokesperson for slush. Uh, excuse me. And then another great thing that I know I covered before that I love to do with slush was like make dams. Uh, because we lived on a hill and then the slush would start melting. And I don't know if they like, you know, the, the, like there'd be rivers of water on the sides of the road from melting snow, even, you know, if, if it got warm enough, you know, broke the freezing barrier or whatever. Yeah, that the edge of the snowbank was just a great spot to make dams for the water trickling down the hill and make, you know, make channels and then you could make dams. And then, I mean, the cool thing about making dams, like, is the futility of it in some sense, uh, at least for a kid, because it has action. Like, I guess, like, I never looked at it from a storytelling perspective, but it really is like, uh, a great story, I guess, if you're role-playing as a kid, because you really, if you're building a dam made out of snow against water and the temperature's not freezing, uh, you're constantly, you constantly have to work. Uh, uh, there's going to be constant conflict, which makes it fun. And there's always the stakes because the stakes are whatever you're imagining them happens when the water breaks through. Uh, so you really are that you can cast yourself as a hero, which would be an engineer or like some sort of uh, uh, protect, I guess, benevolent giant. Or uh, another fun reversal, role reversal, is uh, uh, to build really good dams and uh, then have the stakes uh, like where the dams seem impenetrable and then be the the, the destroyer of the dams. Uh, either by, you know, uh, throwing snowballs, rocks, or being a giant again. And uh, really nothing at risk because it's just water going back down the hill. Because, I mean, usually, well, my backpack would be at risk because who knows what I would have done with that. Uh, so that's probably, you know, uh, like, why is your homework? Well, it was in a snowbank. Uh, the dam broke uh, and it uh, washed my homework away. Yeah, so that was really a good, like a good interaction with both. The, that was like slush and snow. And then, uh, as we so as we went up the hill from my bus stop, we do. I guess we could could talk about uh, one of my childhood, one of my great a great figure in my childhood, Billy, uh, who was a young man, uh, and he uh, as an adult he moved to the big farm, but. Uh, he lived next door to me. He was probably, um, I guess when I was in grammar school, he was in high school. When I was in late grammar school. So when I was in sixth grade, he was probably a freshman or sophomore. So maybe four to six years older than me. And he was a redhead and he was cool. I mean, he was like, uh, he wasn't a bit like, he was like the good kind of bad boy. Like, uh, I guess, uh, I never saw him as a bad boy. Because he didn't even need that. Like, he rode motorcycles, uh, you know, uh, like, built motorcycles, rebuilt motorcycles, had rusty motorcycles in his parents' backyard all the time, and in the winter, rode snowmobiles. And my parents were not a big Billy fan, and he also was a redhead, and he had this snowmobile suit that we, as kids, he was just a legendary figure of my childhood, uh, because, uh, 
as I talked about, there was also the BB kids, which Billy was friends with, and he was more of a neutral figure, where the BB kids were more of a myth. Uh, they lived up the street with Billy. They were actually bad, bad boys, uh, even though they were friends with Billy. I don't know what they actually were. Like, I spent so much of my time creating myths uh, and wanting my life to be like a TV show that I think I cast them. But though I, I, we did have interactions with them as kids. Uh, which, so Billy was like, uh, he was more like uh, like whatever, uh, who was that dude? You know, one of those, mo- he was like a mo- cool. He was cool. I guess that's as simple as it uh, can be. And so his house was uh, the green, like uh, right before my, my, my got to my house would be his house. And usually he was, I guess he was in school. I don't even know, like, uh, I don't even know where he went to high school or uh, what his situation was. Uh, I mean, I can imagine that he at some point was like, I know, you know, I don't need any high school anymore. I've grown out of it. Yeah, but so, like, if you passed his house and he was home, it was always a fantasy of ours to be able to ride on his snowmobile, uh, which, my, you know, my mom would not allow us to do. And I think I talked about it in the podcast. There was one, all like, real, like I don't know where my parents were, and I know it was nighttime uh, that he let me ride his snowmobile. Now, usually, because he was a redhead and my brother Carl was a redhead, so they were a little bit closer and uh, I think Carl's just a nicer person than me. And so I think Carl probably got a ride on the snowmobile before I did. Plus, Carl like, was a little bit more courageous than me. Uh, but at some point, I remember Billy was like, let's go. And uh, like, uh, it was like a really, it was, the snow was really uh, intense uh, because I remember like we could even go in the road and we were jump like he was jumping over snowbanks into the road nothing too extreme uh like mostly if you went up a snowbank and went down for a kid that was amazing and then there was like uh some sort of island and he went between two trees like a traffic island or something and i don't know where else we went i mean i remember uh that uh, maybe i had like 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 a uh, like slipped off the back of it or something, and uh, and then my mom found out. And she was like, "That like I can remember that was my only ride on the snowmobile." Uh, though we sat on the snowmobile all the time because he always like just like his motorcycles, he had a backyard full of like old snowmobiles that he was working on. So we would sit on them a lot and pretend we were racing, you know, like Carl and I, or maybe Bill, my imaginary friend, and I. But so that was another cool thing to, to, uh, and the cool thing was, uh, we happened to live, uh, down, uh, our street was a big golf course and my parents don't golf. Uh, so we weren't members of this golf course and this was before like golf course developments. Uh, so I guess at some point there was probably houses on this golf course, but, uh, it was mostly like you went in down this, uh, court or whatever, and it ended at the golf course, and we happened to live, uh, or where, where this street ended, was the 18th hole, and it was very uh, hilly. Like you hit off a tee, and then there was a huge drop uh, hill, and then you know long fairways or something. I don't know. I don't golf. Like it was par five or something, 
And, like, this was the most amazing place to go sledding. Like, uh, one of the luckiest things as a child uh, was that we lived this close uh, to someplace that had high-quality sledding. Like, almost too high-quality. Like, uh, and so, anytime, like, uh, I don't remember, I think you only go sledding, like, twice a year. Because then you get so cold, you're like, okay. Or, you know, especially with me and Carl, you push the envelope too much and then you say, okay, well, now we can't sled anymore because we pushed the envelope. Yeah, but, you know, especially in Syracuse, it was always freezing cold. Like, anytime it was good to sled. Uh, and I remember we did have, like, snow clothes. So we'd have snow pants, uh, probably boots and socks. So you're fit, you know, and then gloves and a jacket and a hat. Uh, and probably a scarf was pretty essential, but usually you'd be sweating pretty good. And so I'm trying to think, like I lived in the era of plastic sleds. Uh, I think the, like we did have uh, a metal sled at our house, uh, but one it was wicked metal and wood, it was wicked heavy. And I also think incorrectly, oh, those are called toboggans. Uh, Oh, that's probably why. Like, I think that was, like, actually a good invention was these plastic sleds because um, those toboggans, like, uh, were, uh, they go really fast. And uh, they weren't as flexible. And if you, like, uh, so, so yeah, I think it was best. And I think, like, the, the, the sleds I spent the most time with were orange plastic sleds from where else but Kmart's. And I think the orange sled either had uh, blue handles or white handles. And I think we had, a, you know, we had the circular sleds. Uh, but I think that was our primary sleds. I think we had two of them. And, all, like, if, if people were really taking sled, like, it was a Saturday or Sunday, like, and people were off, like, around the holidays or something, you know, the sled could get pretty busy. But otherwise, uh, it would be usually me and my siblings, uh, and then maybe some of the other kids that lived in the neighborhood or my cousins or something, if they had come by. But I guess that would be more in the holidays, too. And so, like, I don't know how familiar people are with golf, but you it's a sport where you hit this ball. I think, I don't know, like, I, like I know people love it, but it just seems to me like some sort of... Uh, I guess if you're emotionally... But anyway, you like uh, there's, like, three different kinds of tees, uh which I guess, freaking hello, 2016's calling. Uh, but at least when I was a kid, there was like a pro, there was an amateur, and then I'm just going to say like a like a starter tee or a new tee. But uh, they had a more direct, like a patriarchal term for it. And I know from my family that my Aunt Helen was the best golfer in our family, uh Maybe her brother Mike was pretty good too, but uh, so oh no, Uncle Jerry, he was pretty good. So th I think those three, like, but Aunt Helen, she would always win, uh, the the golf contests that they played. But so it, this particular thing, like, uh, the the pro and the amateur tee were up, uh, like on a hill that had like a wall, like a wooden wall where they, I think they would put flowers and stuff when they were golfing. And then there was the, the, the last set of tees. I think those were red tees. Uh, and then there was the hill and it was a long hill. Like, uh, 
not only was it pretty steep, but not too steep where you're like, uh, like it would really, it was really good exercise. Uh, and, um, like if you really got some speed going, you could go really far. And so we would go there and I guess like, uh, this is like, this is like, uh, I don't know if like, uh, this is like the latest version of extreme sports, uh, or maybe, I don't know if anybody that got into extreme sports through sledding, or I guess they have that, uh, it's a thing like bobsledding that, uh, like, uh, you can do. Uh, but so you would go sledding there. Now you could, the conditions really did di- dictate how fun it was and how, like how cold it was outside. And I guess how many kids, like if you had too many kids, uh, or too many ages of kids, uh, it might be less fun because, uh, you know, like, uh, ideally like one of my sister's friends would be there so she could hang out with them. Or if it was just me, Carl and Sheila, uh, if we were, we, I think we were like allowed to go sledding by ourselves. Uh, I think we'd probably get bored pretty fast because you go up and down and walking up the hill, you'd start to sweat and, so you'd need a nice air temperature where you wouldn't get cold if you were sweating and you just get worn out. And then you'd like, uh, actually, even back then you could put a rope at the front of even a pla- cheap plastic sled like we had, uh, which would help when you're carrying up the hill. But if you didn't have that, you'd either, you'd have to carry the sled under your arms. And it was a really light, uh, basic plastic. And I don't know, like, let's talk about the kinds of sleds. So they had, you had a two-person plastic sled that you could probably fit three kids in. And it was just like a one piece of plastic that the same kind of plastic they make uh, kids swimming pools in that aren't effect, like uh, effective, I mean, not uh, inflatable. So some sort of uh, plastic that I don't think is around too much anymore. And but very durable but not a shiny plastic and more of a matte plastic. And then it had handles that you would hold on to when you were in the sled, uh, that were the hard, uh, shiny plastic. Um, and you would need to hold on to those uh, on this hill. And especially if you made a jump, uh, which is where this is, that's where things would start to go off the, uh, and this was like another childhood myth, like the older kids would get there and they were the ones that built the jump. And I think at some point we became the ones that would build a jump. Uh, and I was never like much of an engineer. You, you know, I was better at role playing that I was a giant engineer with the, the uh, water and the slush. Yeah, but let's talk sleds before we talk jumps. So that was the one kind of sled, uh, the two to three person. And I think two people is usually best. Uh, because I don't know how fun it would be for the third person in the back. Uh, and it, it, three people, like two people, you could get enough momentum going, uh, but the weight wouldn't slow you down. And you would really need uh, packed snow or uh, like wet snow, but not too wet. If the snow was either too wet or too new, it would slow you down. But it was, So ideally it'd be cold, uh, so it would be like near icy conditions. But then if it was cold and near icy conditions, going uphill stunk and it was easier, you know, to sustain an owie and it would be freezing. Uh, so you'd wear, you know, you'd get worn out. Uh, but so that was one kind of sled. Now, another popular type of sled is the circle sled, which is like a dish. 
popularized. I think at some point they made him a metal because I think in National Lampoons, Chevy Chase uses like an aluminum one. But by the time I was a kid, those were plastic. Uh, I don't think I had any aluminum sleds, so they'd be pretty cool. I just wonder what the cold transfer would be and which would go faster, plastic or aluminum. And uh, I don't remember, like, I think the downsides of the, uh, the cool thing about the um, plastics, like two-person sled, is that it's going to go straight almost no matter what. It almost had two runners on the underneath of it, like uh, fins, uh, so it would stay going straight. And you could try to turn it in. Like, you could accidentally turn it, or, like, you could lean, and it would do a slow turn. Uh, but otherwise, it went straight. The problem with the circular uh, dish sleds is it would just seem like you had very little control. And especially if you're jumping, you want to be going straight at the jump because you don't want to go off the side because you could ruin the jump. Uh, but also, like... uh it wasn't a good idea to, to, to go on it. Like you had to see where you were going so you could prepare for it, uh, and then continue your momentum straight ahead. And I think just the spinning around, I, I guess maybe, I don't know if it was a personal choice. I just didn't like those circles, those, those dish sleds. And we'll just get the final toboggan. Like, so there's a, there was like the small toboggan, the fearless flyer, right? Was that what they were called? Or like the RC flyer or whatever, radio flyer. I think those are what they were called. Um, which, uh, Rosebud, I think is the most famous of those. Uh, the Rosebud was like an early edition. And those were sleds and they were made of metal. And I maybe we had one because I remember seeing pictures of my dad pretending to pull us in that or one or two of us. Uh, and that was a very picturesque uh, uh, Saturday evening post uh, Norman Rockwell type sled. Uh, I think I don't know if, like like uh, if they have like a fourth like the Pledge of Allegiance like winter edition. You'd have a, a, a like a sled. The radio flyer would be in there probably. Or maybe the radio flyer was the um, wagon. Maybe they made a sled in a wagon. I mean, that would make sense, right? Because uh, they're working with, like, uh, whatever that was, uh, steel or metal or aluminum. Yeah, so that was one kind of sled. And that was, like, usually a one- or two-person sled. And it seemed like it had controls. And you would sit up, and then it would have rails, just like a sleigh, like Santa's sleigh or sleigh ride sleigh. And conceptually, I think as a kid, like, especially with the hill we were at, one, it was too heavy because it was made from, like, some sort of iron. Maybe not, yeah. And also, the conditions had to be uh, uh, spectacular for that thing to move. Um, And so we did not, I don't really remember using it. But then there's, like, something called a toboggan. Oh, yeah, there's two kinds of toboggans, too. There's another, there's the rail edition toboggan. Uh, but this is the kind of toboggan that I'm thinking of. I was I was mixing up my um, rosebud with a, the the toboggan, and I don't even know if that's the right thing. But a toboggan is like a, I'm trying to think if you've never pictured this before. Uh, but it has like a curly cue at the front, and it's like usually it's wood, like some sort of like a, this was usually like only like an adult would show up with one of these things because there's no way a kid, you'd need two adults to carry it. Yeah, but it was this long uh, sled 
and with a curly, it was made of wood, like some sort of wood that you could bend. Um, and uh, let's see, like probably waxed and stuff like that. I don't know. And it was just this long piece of wood with a curl at the front. And it usually even had the one I'm imagining, I think was my uncle Eddie's. It even had like padded seats. Uh, and you could usually these were like a four, six, eight person toboggan. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what I'm calling it. And you would get in it and you have no control. And the joy of it was like being in it with this collective experience with all these people. And again, I think the conditions had to be perfect. No one could get in the way because this was a piece of wood with like uh, the weight of four to eight people. And it kind of had this plow on the front. So you need everybody to be coordinated uh, to get in it or like an adult or a teen at the front uh, to, or to like launch the thing. Uh, but it would be fun, and usually, like, you'd be holding people, so it'd be fun. Like, you'd have some closeness, like, with your siblings. Uh, and maybe, like, I can imagine for very rare times feeling, like, a protective aspect of my siblings and my cousins or whatever. And, uh, but that thing, then someone would have to pull it up the hill again. So that was a lot of work, and uh, it just felt like conceptually... I don't know, like, and then there's inner tubes. I don't think there was a lot of inner tube sledding when I was a kid um, that I remember. But then, so then there was jumps, and this orange sled was made to jump. These orange or, or basic plastic two-person sleds. Uh, so usually you'd build a jump. Ideally, you know, kids had all these theories, and I used to fantasize that I could make a good uh, jump, Uh but the best jumps were like even seasoned, like they'd be made and then the weather would hold. So the jump would be out there and it'd be able to freeze and then you'd be able to put more snow and ice on it. So you'd have to really pack the snow and you'd really need a good uh, lead in so that you just didn't crash right through the jump and uh, like ruin it. Uh, so whoever was making these jumps really, I mean, we would try... And I think maybe, like, as we got older, maybe we made one or two. But there was a couple times, yeah, whatever these jumps were made, like on this hill, you'd fly. And then sometimes you had to hold on to the sled and you had to sit upright. And, of course, people like my brother Carl would, like, jump out of the sled in midair. And it wasn't like you got so high. Uh, like, uh, I think it was the first chance to, to, as kids to get high. I mean, and I'm not kidding. Like, uh with adrenaline and thrills and, uh, like sometimes someone would like it, get a scrape or, or get a little sad. Uh, but it was always also like braggadocia, like, Oh, did you see what I did? Or, or, Oh, I dare you to go backwards, uh, or close your eyes or don't hold on or kids trying to go over in their saucers. Uh, so that was always nice. And there was something like, uh, very, mechanically soothing, I guess, about sledding and then going over the jumps and then having to walk all the way back up the hill. And you'd be hearing the other kids going down and the noises of laughter and yelling. Um, they kind of seemed very nice and soothing and, and, and uh, comforting. And then the sweating was good because you'd be warm. And then at some point your extremities would get cold and then you'd go inside or you'd just be tired. But I think usually boredom or what, like someone crying would be the two signs it was time to go home. 
though I don't know if you're, you're like uh, sometimes your fingers your toes get cold to be like okay I just like I'm done I want to go home now yeah but another really enjoyable thing about the snow is like being able to lie there like in a fresh pile of snow and some people would make snow angels and that was always a fun thing to do but I don't know I found it like uh like, uh, especially when you were really warm because you had a lot of winter clothes on, lying in deep powder and, like, uh, being immersed so that you almost lose sight of the horizon, but you still have sight of the sky. And the snow's deep enough that you can't feel quite feel the earth beneath you. You can only feel the snow. And, uh, even like, because you're below the horizon, your hearing is different and you can hear different snow sounds like crackling and the, the regular sounds change. And there's something very visceral about the cold being so close to something cold that it really is a perfect place to lay and to think about, like, how warm you feel, like, with warmth all around you. And that you're cradled in something uh, so safe and warm and nice. And you're looking off in the sky. The stage happens to be the perfect blue. It's just some wispy clouds in the sky. And it's like uh, you're warm. You're super warm you know, with whatever that wool or is, but you're not hot. And you see, man, this feels good. It feels like I'm like, uh, I don't know, man. I just feel so good right now. So warm, so secure, uh, so nice. Uh, good night.